0: Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 194, recorded Tuesday, January 20th, 2023. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler, it's more about the journey than the destination, two topics on this edition of the Travel Commons Podcast, best laid travel plans and roaming entropy. So coming to you from the Travel Commons studios in Nashville, Tennessee, after, I'd say, a good bit of travel, 10 days in the Netherlands, bracketed by road trips to Louisville, Savannah, Georgia, and Chicago, and then what was a very, very tough week of beer drinking here in Nashville when the Craft Brewers Conference touched down. So I've been keeping occupied since the last episode, but it's all been personal travel. All of my business travel has been replaced with Zoom and team sessions. I may be a bit of an outlier, but none of the U.S. Airlines Q1 earnings announcements were great. And that was in no small part because business travel still isn't back to pre-pandemic levels. Delta said they're hoping it'll settle at maybe 75 percent of 2019 levels, while United CEO said, we believe demand is just structurally different than it was pre-pandemic, and we're still figuring out that new normal. So maybe not quite the Bill Gates over 50% of business travel will go away prediction, but with our two-year crash course in virtual work, having the post-pandemic set point for business travel be, I don't know, say 20 to 25% lower doesn't seem too far-fetched. And even with the non-business revenge travel boom filling seats— Personal travel is a lot more price-sensitive, or elastic, as economists like to say, than business travel. My travel patterns are a testament to that, with higher airfares but a more flexible schedule, because, of course, I can zoom from anywhere. It's been more road trips than plane flights. I've had some pretty drives, like through East Tennessee and Central Kentucky— But I got to tell you, some real grind-outs like I-75 pretty much from the Georgia line all the way through Atlanta, all the way down to Macon, Georgia. But driving does make packing easier without the constraints of a carry-on bag, which I have to say caught up with me on our Netherlands trip. I was out of practice. I was sloppy, forgetting to pack so much of what would be in my normal kit. Stuff like a collapsible umbrella, gloves, hat. So when the cold rain shifted to snow our first day in Amsterdam, and of course it had been in the 70s when we were packing and leaving Nashville, our standard throwaway line of if we've forgotten it, we'll just buy it. Became very real. And I was very happy to find a couple of sporting goods stores a block down from our hotel. I tell you, I got to do some remedial packing training before my next flight. So following up, Robert Fennedy hit the Travel Commons website to comment on last episode's thoughts about ponying up for a, I don't know, a not quite Amex Platinum card from, say, Chase or Capital One, one that includes a Priority Pass membership. First of all, Robert said, you need to fix the cert on TravelCommons.com. Safari is complaining. Yep. I know. I have to tell you, though, converting the site to HTTPS has been on my to-do list for a long time. I'll get to it. I promise. Someday. So, (laughs) now getting into the meat of it, Robert says, Given the paucity of direct flights from Nashville, I suppose lounge access makes sense. But please, don't get a credit card just for priority pass access. I've had one for years through my Chase Sapphire Reserve card. With Priority Pass, you'll encounter capacity controlled second rate lounges where travelers on certain flights just stroll past you while you're added to a 45 minute wait list. And then after your 45 minute wait, you'll be treated to a sardine packed lounge where the primary benefits are lack of blaring TVs, uh, they've got cat food sandwiches, and maybe a second rate chair that might adjoin an electrical outlet. Every time I buy a bold $20 glass of Cabernet at a Vino Volo or sip a remarkable East Coast West hazy at an airport bar with 20 taps, I think about how happy I am not to be begging for a second-rate drink at a second-rate lounge. <laughs> well, Robert, just you know, like don't hold back, man. Uh, I do agree, though, that that Priority Pass members definitely seem to be on the bottom of the priority list. I have been on the other side of that 45-minute wait list, walking into a lounge in O'Hare's International Terminal, bypassing the queue of priority pass holders because I had an Air France business class ticket. I've also encountered the cat food sandwich (laughs) phenomenon. I guess that's why Amex's Centurion lounges are so popular. Great food, nice local beers, top-shelf liquor. Which explains why they are so crowded and now charging for each guest. Food and drink costs during connections, you know, that's another thing I forgot to factor in when I moved to a non-hub city. Jim McDonough hit the Travel Commons Facebook page to pile onto my rant about the U.S.'s stop-start online passport renewal efforts. Jim writes, I have dual citizenship with the U.S. and Ireland. Getting an Irish passport was a bureaucratic nightmare and took a couple of years from beginning to end. I saw it was expiring at the end of 2022, went online to see how to renew it. Turns out there was a simple application to fill out online, got my wife to take a photo of me against a neutral background, uploaded it, paid by credit card, and had a new Irish passport in my mailbox five days later. It can be done, USA. Try harder. You know, Jim's comment got me looking, and sure enough, I can renew my U.K. passport online too. And checking the U.S. passport renewal page just before recording says the renewal online portal is still paused. We're coming up on the fourth month of that pause. Maybe the U.S. State Department just needs to buy Ireland's or the U.K.'s system rather than trying to build their own. One of the Travel Commons through lines over the past, I don't know, five, six years has been the move to a cashless society and me being a bit of a knuckle-drager about it. It's a stuttering progress, tripping over small cash-only family-run restaurants in Chicago and here in Nashville, but then card-only places in Amsterdam. A long weekend in Croatia last fall, before they switched to the euro, had me hunting down ATMs because not only were there signs saying cash only, but also kuna only, the currency that would be defunct in a couple of months. The Netherlands, like I said, was all about the tap. Double-click on the iPhone tapped a little block, hear the ding. I hit an ATM for 200 euros, just honestly through force of habit. And after 10 days came home with, I don't know, 40 or 50 euros of it. But looking at my iPhone halfway through the trip, it looked like, honestly, I'd traded cash for apps. I tweeted a screenshot of my phone. I'd added nine apps to my phone just for those ten days. Four were for different transit systems. One for Amsterdam, one for Rotterdam, one for the bus from Harlem down to the Tulip Gardens, and then one for the trains between all the different cities. There was Bolt, which is kind of the Uber taxicab mashup in Europe, and then Donkey Republic, (laughs) which uh, was there to unlock rental bikes. I mean, I guess I could go cashless as, as long as my phone battery holds out. And then back in December, right after ChatGPT was released, unleashed on the, uh, on the world, I wrote a blog post comparing its holiday travel tips to mine. Now, I thought that the GPT recommendations were fine, but that mine were way more insightful. So now that Google and Microsoft have joined the AI chat game, I thought I'd ask all three, what's the Travel Commons podcast like? So first, ChatGPT's response. The Travel Commons podcast is a podcast that focuses on travel experiences and insights. Hosted by travel enthusiast and former consultant Mark Peacock, the podcast covers a range of topics related to travel, from the latest news and trends to personal travel stories and tips. Listeners can expect to hear Peacock's own experiences and anecdotes about his travels, as well as interviews with other travel experts and enthusiasts. The podcast often covers topics related to technology and travel, such as the latest travel apps and gadgets, as well as discussions about travel safety and sustainable travel, and more. But not bad. I I thought that's uh, that's pretty good. So next up, Google's Bard. The Travel Commons podcast is a weekly podcast, I wish, for frequent travelers. The host, Matt Kepnes. Uh, shares his insights and advice on all things travel, from planning and booking trips to navigating airports and hotels. He also interviews experts in the travel industry, such as airline pilots, hoteliers, and travel writers. I don't know. Uh, Somehow Bard has transferred Travel Commons to Nomadic Matt. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to go uh, check and make sure I still own the travelcommons.com domain name. And then finally, Microsoft's Bing Chat, which is powered by the most recent version of ChatGPT. I think that's ChatGP or GPT-4. Anyhow, Bing says, Travel Commons is a podcast that focuses on the experience of travel. It's hosted by Mark Peacock, who is a frequent traveler himself. The podcast covers a wide range of topics related to travel, including tips for packing and planning, reviews of airlines and hotels, and discussions about the latest trends in travel. The podcast has been around since 2005 and has a loyal following of listeners who appreciate its honest and informative approach to travel. Wow, that one I like. I, I, I don't know. I think I may have to update the Travel Commons Media Guide with that. And hey, if you've got any travel stories, questions, comments, tips, rants, the voice of the traveler, send them along to comments, co at travelcommons.com. You can send a Twitter message to M. Peacock, post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page like Jim or the Instagram account at Travel Commons, or if you can fight through the safari security warnings like Robert did, you can post your comments on the website at travelcommons.com. So the first topic on today's Travel comments podcast is best laid travel plans. The first topic in the last episode was still overthinking travel planning, which I do because, well, I've spent a good bit of my waking life traveling, but... Kind of like how generals always fight the last war, I'm probably not doing a great job of accounting for the changes in today's travel landscape. Full planes and hotels, limited flexibility, you know, basically taking what you can get. Living in Nashville, which is, as I mentioned before, a non-hub city, means more often than not, I have to plan for a connection, especially when choosing our flight home from Amsterdam in April, having to factor in the time needed to pass through customs, maybe having to transit from an international to a domestic terminal, having to clear TSA security again, all in addition to the usual having some cushion for a late flight. But when I looked across all the possible connections for our flight home from Amsterdam, the times were either snug, say less than two hours, or boringly long, four to six hours. So I decided to risk it, taking the snug layover through O'Hare. I figured, you know, we knew the airport, so no time lost in trying to figure out the terminal connections. But most importantly, if we did get caught up somewhere and missed that connection, there was another flight to Nashville at 6 p.m., four hours later. So as you might guess, all did not go smoothly because let's face it, if it did, I wouldn't be here talking about it on the podcast. There's not much interesting about I booked a snug connection and everything was fine. So actually, things started to go off the rails a few days before our departure, on our last night in Rotterdam. We stayed at the Hotel Pinkoff's on the left bank, which I, I think was a great hotel. Highly recommended if you go to Rotterdam. And by the way, I really liked Rotterdam, but I'll go into that at some other time. And, and But anyhow, after dinner, we hit the hotel lounge where I ordered a glass of what was labeled a Dutch coastal gin called Hermit. So skipping the tonic, as I talked about in episode 192, so I could taste the botanicals and the salty water that they plugged on the label, I I liked it. I liked it a lot, so much so that I ordered another glass and then the next day spent three hours rummaging through Amsterdam liquor stores till I found a bottle to take home, which meant, of course, I was now checking my bag on my flight to O'Hare. Two days later, our snug connection began to decay. The inbound United flight was late, which then dominoed out our departure time by 20 minutes. The captain said, don't worry. He said, I'll push the throttle. We'll make it up in the air. I have to tell you, I've heard that promise before. And sure enough, when we hit the gate in O'Hare, we were still 20 minutes late. Okay, snugger, but still doable. The global entry kiosk was fast, you know, almost too fast. O'Hare has the new facial biometric kiosks. I, I walked up, and before I'd actually figured out how to use it, it had already recognized my face and was telling me to move on. Slightly creepy, but that's a topic for another episode. So we find the luggage carousel just as the bags with the orange priority tags start popping out. I let myself feel a little bit optimistic. I'm watching for my gin-bearing bag, and I watch, and I watch, and I watch non-priority bags start to come out. Still, I'm watching, but I'm feeling that optimism decay. Eventually, the bags pop out. We work through the customs exit line, only to walk straight into an even longer line to recheck our bags for our Nashville flight. Only two, three people are working it. Honestly, I'm starting to feel like Stevie Ray Vaughan when he sings, "Tick tock, people, time's ticking away. I tweet a picture of the line to United saying, I'd be pretty thrilled if I made my O'Hare to Nashville connection after my Amsterdam to O'Hare flight arrived late. No response. We finally get up to the bag checker. She scans the bag tag. I can see her screen flash red. Nope, she says... You won't make your flight and then turns to the next person in line. Uh, We just stand there for a moment and then start to drag our bags over to the line for the rebooking agent. But as I've said many times on this podcast, when anything goes wrong, any delay work all the channels, so my usual Twitter play didn't seem to be working. I don't know, United's social media hub must have been short-staffed. So I dial up the Premier line and tell my entire tale of woe to the phone agent while still in line for the in-person agent. Now, getting up to the in-person agent, I tell her the same thing. United's delay caused me to miss my connection, so just book me on the 6 o'clock flight to Nashville. Seems easy enough, But not in today's travel world. The rebooking agent tells me there are no seats left to Nashville today on any carrier. This is unacceptable, I said. She goes palms up and turns to the next person in line. Uh, Wait, wait a minute, I said. If you can't get me home tonight, United owes me overnight accommodations. She stopped, thought for a moment, then wrote down a number on a slip of paper. You need to call them. It was the same number that I'd called while in line. But importantly, through all that conversation with the in-person agent, I hadn't hung up on the phone agent. She was still there. She also says, I'm sorry, but there are no seats to Nashville. But she says, I can get you to Memphis. Now, Look, she's trying to help, but I don't think she realizes that Tennessee is a long state. Memphis is a three-hour drive from Nashville, at best. This is unacceptable, I said. She apologized again. Fifteen minutes into the call, she finally offers to transfer me to her supervisor. I tell the supervisor my story, probably with a little bit of frustration now creeping into my voice. Can I put you on hold, she asks. I'm like, sure, why not? In the meantime, Irene was checking Southwest's flights. Apparently, United agents can't see them. The supervisor eventually, after a while, comes back. Would the 6 p.m. flight uh, to Nashville be okay for you? 6 p.m. today, I asked. I mean, after 36 minutes on the phone and saying this is unacceptable two or three times, they somehow scrounged up the seats that I had been asking for all along. Yeah, book it. So we hop on the air train uh, to get from Terminal 5 over to Terminal 1, and we find a seat at Tortas Frontier, my favorite O'Hare restaurant, for a couple of unplanned margaritas. While checking the United app for my new boarding pass, I saw that United Twitter had finally responded. We're sorry about the stressful day you've had today. As a gesture of goodwill, we are able to deposit 2,500 miles in each of your accounts. Well, using the 1.5 cents per mile conversion rate that I talked about in the last episode, that just about covered our Frontier tab. I have to tell you, in today's travel world, that's probably the best outcome I could have hoped for. The second topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is Roaming Entropy. Well, before this revenge travel boom, over tourism was a trending topic. I've talked about it on a number of past episodes, biking up to Delicate Arch in Moab, Utah, only to find a swarm of photographers setting up to get their golden hour shot at sunset or trying to dodge and get in front of tour buses before they disgorged their masses along iceland's golden circle and then most recently squeezing through narrow streets in rome when i made the mistake of agreeing to meet a friend at trevi fountain and i didn't even have 3 coins to throw in but as you might guess that's not my preferred touring style instead i tend to do what my family calls my solo toural routine going off on my own to wander a city, just sort of randomly walking, letting traffic lights make the call when it's time to make a turn. Often I'll have some endpoint in mind, a tap room, a church, but my path getting there won't be the most direct. I've never thought that this was unique, but still I've been pleasantly surprised to run across a couple of articles that put a name to it, Flaneuring, from Flaneur, The, well, of course, French word from the 19th century that means a stroller, a loafer, a wanderer, someone who walks around a city without a fixed destination or purpose, just observing and enjoying the sights, sounds and smells. The English author Virginia Woolf called it street haunting, which I kind of like, but I think my, my favorite term is roaming entropy coined by some New York University researchers whose work showed a positive correlation between someone's mood and how many sort of new, varied, unexpected locations they visited. Also, as a someone with a chemical engineering background who sweated through at least a couple of semesters of thermodynamics, just the opportunity to use the word entropy excites me. But, So roaming entropy, experiential diversity, they say, these uh, NYU folks say, promotes cognitive development, which makes sense to me. In many ways, uh, this is one of the main reasons people travel, to experience something new. Way back in episode 166, Emily Thomas talked about how philosophers such as Descartes and Montaigne thought experiencing what they called the otherness of travel was important to broadening your mind. It forced you to think past your familiar experiences. And many folks do want to experience something new, but without the risk of disappointment or the risk of something worse uh, that the term roaming entropy implies. And there's nothing new to that. Guidebooks have been around forever. When when Irene and I started traveling through Europe, we'd always carry a green Michelin guide, and we'd check off the one, two, three-star sites as we'd hit them. I mean, it's really not all that different from people today queuing up for selfies at an Instagram-famous spot. But ticking off a list of Insta sites or starred spots, doesn't open you to the possibility of serendipitous delight, the joy of discovering something unexpected. Now, on the flip side, it does keep you out of serendipitous disaster. I mean, I don't recall any of my wanderings putting me in harm's way, but there have been a few times where I felt I pushed the envelope just a bit far, say in Cape Town or Joburg, South Africa, in Brussels, Belgium, and where I felt the need to uh, beat a very direct, non-random retreat to someplace safer. The NYU folks also talked about sociodemographic experiential variability. I had to say that slow because it's, I don't know, their polysyllabic way of describing wandering around in different ethnic or cultural neighborhoods during Flannering which is kind of obvious. I mean, I'm always hitting up food carts for, say, I don't know, tamales in a Mexican neighborhood or not really well-defined meats on skewers in an Asian night market or, I don't know, Cuban coffee joints in Miami. I mean, come to think about it, a lot of my sociodemographic experiential variability involves food or booze, tap rooms. Uh, though I have to say, in my defense, if you keep stopping to buy stuff – You then got to carry it around with you the rest of the day, and it weighs you down. Maybe it forces you to shorten your walk, and that's not what roaming entropy is about. I tell you, you got to be light on your feet to swerve the hordes and ride the random wave. Okay, that's it. That's the end of Travel Commons podcast number 194. You can find us and listen to the current episodes on all the main podcast sites Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can also ask Alexa, Siri, or Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers. You can click on the link in the episode's description in your podcast app to get to the show notes page at travelcommons.com. There you'll get a transcript of the episode and there's any links that uh, either I've mentioned or that I forgot to mention but are there in case you want to look something up. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast there's a drop down subscribe menu at the top of the page and then along the side. Uh, and you'll also along the side you'll find links to all the travel comments socials. If you've got a story, thought, comment, gripe, the voice of the traveler, send them along, text or audio file to comment, c o m e n t s at TravelCommons.com and Peacock on Twitter. Write them on the Travel Commons Facebook page or the Instagram site. Or, uh, you know, if you find a way to click through and get to TravelCommons.com, you can post your comments right there under the episode. Thanks to everyone who has taken the time to send in emails, tweets, and post comments on the website or any of the other socials. I really do appreciate it. And until we talk again, travel safe, and thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now.